Continuing our series in uh, the Gospel of Mark entitled Follow Me, and today we are looking at uh, Mark 4, 1 through 20, the parable of the sower and hearing with your heart. Again, he, that's Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. The word of God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you this morning that we get to explore your word and we get to learn from you. And we ask that you would be with us this morning, that you would be with me as I speak that I might speak what is true and anything else might fall to the wayside. I pray for each person here that their hearts might be open and receptive to you and to the Holy Spirit and what you might have for them this morning. And all God's people said, the other day I was talking with my wife and I'd found something kind of cool. And I pressed play on YouTube on my phone and I said, Virginia, do do you hear the tone? And at first she heard it. It was a little like, but then as the video began to play and play longer and longer, the tone got harder and harder to hear. I don't know if you've heard of the mosquito tone. The mosquito tone is this high frequency that it's hard to hear the older you get. Younger people, people in their teenage years and early 20s are able to hear the mosquito tone. And so what they do is they put it on their phones and they use it to text each other during class. And their teacher, who's a little bit older, isn't able to hear the tone. So she doesn't know that they're texting. 
And it was funny, my wife and I were there and we were kind of listening to the mosquito tone and it got to the point where it's, it said, if you're over this certain age, you won't be able to hear it. And we couldn't hear it. We couldn't hear it. So we had no actual way of knowing if there really was a tone. The mosquito tone was developed in Britain by a, a technology company or, or a technician who decided we need to help store owners keep young people from loitering in front of their stores. And so they made this machine that would go outside a convenience store and the shop owner could turn on the mosquito tone and no one else would hear it but loitering teenagers and it would force them away. It would drive them away. And that's how it got, in, uh, that's how it got admitted and it got um, commandeered and used for cell phones. There's something about our ears though, as, as we age, the sensors inside get damaged and we're just unable to pick up higher frequencies. And the mosquito tone has different effects on different people based on the damage that they've had in their ears. Some ears are able to receive it and register it and hear it. And some are not. The parable today is a little bit like the mosquito tone. Jesus is going to give us a message. And rather than the ears of our head, he's talking about the ears of our heart. And he says that some people are able to receive and register this message and some people are not. The message of Jesus has a different effect on different people. Some people can hear it with their heart and some people cannot. And so the question for each of you today is do you hear the message of Jesus with the ears of your heart? Are you tuned in to be able to pick up what Jesus is saying and how it applies to you? Are you willing to listen about what he says is the good news, the gospel, his death on the cross and the good news of his kingdom? Do you hear the message of Jesus with the ears of your heart? Jesus tells us this story and it's a story called a parable. And a parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he doesn't tell it though for entertainment. Sometimes stories are told for entertainment. Jesus tells this story to teach, but not just teach, to teach with a jolt. He wants you to wrestle with this story. In fact, he wants everyone to wrestle with this story. And so when he ends it, when he ends a story, he doesn't explain it publicly. He just says, he who has ears, let him hear. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you either get it or you don't. And he drops the mic and just walks off stage. And everyone's going, wait, what just happened? This parable is specifically about soil. I brought some of my wife's topsoil. And this is good soil. I'm gonna pass it around just so you can get a visual. Don't get your brownie mixed up with the soil. Or take it and just pass it to someone else. There you go. Um, and there's really three characters. The first character is the soil, and we'll come back to that. The second character is the sower. It's the person who spreads the seeds. And Jesus tells us that the sower is the person with the message. It's the messenger. The main sower is Jesus. Jesus comes spreading the message about himself. But anyone who also spreads the message of Jesus is a sower as well. The second character or the third character in the story is the seeds and the seeds are the message. 
It's the good news of Jesus about himself. It's the message that God has sent a representative into this world, bringing his kingdom. A king has come, but he's come to die on behalf of sinners. And as the sower spreads the seed, so the messenger spreads the message of Jesus. And that first character that I'm passing around is the soil. And that's you. You're the soil. I would say you're dirt, but you'd get offended, so I'll just say you're soil. <laughs> the soil is a representation of your heart and how your heart receives the message of Jesus. Different soils receive the seed with different responses. And your question again is, how does your heart receive the message of Jesus? We're told about several different types of soil. And the first soil we hear about is a seed that falls upon a path. The soil is on a footpath. And because it's on a footpath, that means it's been trampled down. If the soil coming around is loose and you can stick your fingers through it, the soil on the path is impenetrable. It has been packed down by feet walking over it over and over and over again. And for this soil, the seed is not able to penetrate it. It's impenetrable. And Jesus says that once the seed goes on the soil, it just sits there because it's not able to sink in. And that birds come by and just see it lying there and pick it up. Jesus explains that this soil represents an impenetrable heart. The message of Jesus comes and it just lays on the top and that Satan comes and snatches the message of Jesus away before it ever has a chance because the soil is impenetrable. Now, I know last week we talked a lot about Satan. Basically, the whole sermon was about uh, spiritual warfare and demonic forces, and, and some of you probably walked away going, really? Like, isn't that a little bit superstitious? Are you talking about, like, some little guy on this shoulder speaking to me and another guy with a pitchfork on this shoulder speaking to me. No, we're not, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about a, um, a tail, an archaic tail. We're talking about a real being that's a representation of all evil. And maybe that's hard for you to make a jump and maybe that sounds superstitious, but if you do believe in God or you believe there is a God and you think that he might be personal and he might be good, doesn't it make sense that there is a being who also could be personal and might be evil? and is out to destroy God, God's work in you. Even as God desires to communicate with you and let you know about him, doesn't it make sense that if this being is evil, he would try and snatch up that message so that you'd never even receive it. That's what this passage says when it talks about the devil snatching up the message. An impenetrable heart is someone uh, who's uninterested in the message of Jesus. It's maybe an intellectual exercise at best, but there's no sense in considering whether it's true and letting the seed into the soil of your heart. I think one way for you though, to get there and get past the intellectual questions that you have, while those are valid, is to ask yourself this, do you want to believe? Are you open to believing? In his book, What Does It All Mean? Philosopher Thomas Nigel wrote this, I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally 
I hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. See, it wasn't just that he had intellectual questions. We all have those and intellectual questions are not wrong. We need to work through those and those can be answered. But what Nigel recognized is that there's something deeper than his questions. Even if he had his questions answered, he still did not want to believe. He still had a hard heart. He still had impenetrable soil. And he wasn't able to receive the message. It wasn't just that he had questions that were holding him up. He had a heart that was hard. His heart did not want to believe. I know some of you have questions. And if you do have questions, don't sit on them. Come to me, email me. We'll talk about them. If I can't answer them, I'll point you to a book that can. But let me ask you this. If all your questions were answered, would you believe? If every single one of your questions were answered about God, would you believe? Because if your answer is still no, if your answer is still no, you have to ask yourself why? Why, if all my questions were answered, would I still not believe? And you'll probably come to a realization, much like Thomas Nigel did, that you just don't want God to exist. You just don't want the universe to be like that. You don't want someone to have power over you. You don't want to have to submit to a being who's stronger than you. You want to be in charge. And if that's you, maybe you can start off with a simple prayer. If you're open now to the fact that God may exist and that he may want to know you and you may want to know him, you can start off with a simple prayer and say, God, if you're there, please show yourself to me. Please show yourself to me. A friend of mine who'd been through an incredibly difficult life began to wonder, is God really there? And his journey to faith started with the, the little prayer, God, if you're there, you'll just have to show me. You'll just have to show me. And God showed up in his life. And all the, the, the impenetrableness of his heart fell away. And the message of the gospel was able to enter in. And he actually came to faith in Jesus. Will you let your heart hear the message of Jesus? If it's impenetrable, pray that God would open your heart up and that you would see him. The first soil is the impenetrable soil, the impenetrable heart. And the second soil that we look at is rocky ground. Some of the seed falls on rocky ground. And what happens is the rocks in the Middle East were warm. And so the seed would fall on the rocks and sense the warmth. And because it sensed the warmth, it said, well, it's time to grow. And the seed would sprout out, sprout up. But the problem was there was nowhere to root. There was nowhere for the seed to take root and get strong. And so as soon as the sun would come out, that seed would get scorched because it was just laying there on the rock. It was laying there on the rock. The rocky ground represents a shallow heart, a shallow heart. It's someone who hears the gospel and seems to receive it. They may even have a positive emotional reaction. They're excited, they're joyful, but it hasn't really taken root deeply in their heart. They have no grasp of the truth of the gospel. They're following Jesus because they think it's fun. It's exciting. But then as soon as it gets hard, 
and difficult, as soon as it's not fun, they're done. They're done. They have a shallow heart. You know, a, a mother, uh, I was talking to a mother who had a, a son in, her, in his 20s, and she expressed concern to me about him. And she said, listen, my son is part of a Christian movement and it's incredibly exciting. Like you go there and it's so exciting. But she confessed, I'm just worried though. I'm worried that when life starts to get hard, I'm worried, is he gonna be able to stand? He's part of this, it's so exciting right now and he's loving it, but has he been trained how to persevere in the faith when it gets difficult? Does he know how to have roots in Christ when there's trials? And that really affected me. It really made me think a lot about what we're doing at this church. Because you know, you can manufacture excitement in a church. You can manufacture excitement in the church and that can get people really riled up. But then you have to ask yourself, are they really riled up about Jesus? Have they got excited about something secondary or about the truth of Christ? About the fact that God has entered into this world as Jesus and he came to, to live and die and he, and he rose again. Is that the core of what's exciting for them? It's not that excitement or emotional expression is wrong. It's just that the emotional expression and excitement should come from Jesus and come from Jesus making a new church and people becoming God, part of God's blended family as they accept the gospel. And I became worried that we might be drawing people to the wrong thing. And that was a great conversation I had early on in the church. And I thought, I want people to take root in Jesus. We're gonna preach the gospel every week in and out. We're gonna let people know what they need to be here for. And it's been incredibly exciting, hasn't it? And it's also been hard. And yet you've stuck around. You're rooted. You're rooted. You'll follow Jesus even if it costs you. Not because it's fun, but because you know it's true. Because you know it's true. Why do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus because you think your life will be better or more exciting? Or because it's true? Or because it's true? Does your heart hear the message of Jesus. After the rocky ground comes the thorny soil. And in the thorny soil, the seeds grow. But what grows right alongside of it are these thorns. And we get the image that the thorns wrap themselves around the sprout and eventually choke out this new seed that is growing into a plant and the plant dies. And the thorny soil represents a divided heart. A divided heart. Jesus says the divided heart is taken up with the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. The cares of the world are just when you're pressed, stressed, and you become obsessed with something else besides Jesus. And it's not necessarily that you're a bad person when that happens. That can happen to any one of us. Any one of us can just get caught up in normal life. It's when you get to that point, you just say, look, I don't got time for Jesus anymore. I'm too busy. It can be that simple. The cares of the world can choke out the message of Jesus from your heart. But also the deceitfulness of riches. Notice it doesn't say the evil of riches. Wealth and riches aren't evil inherently. 
It says the deceitfulness of riches. See, one of the struggles that wealthy people have is they can look at their wealth and think, I don't need anything else. I got all I need. Yesterday, Virginia and I got a chance to go on a boat, uh, boat ride through the intercoastal. And, and as I looked around and just saw the incredible wealth uh, in condos and in incredible boats that were passing by, I, I felt it a little bit. I was like, man, if I could just have that, I'd be okay. And right in that moment, it was the deceitfulness of riches. It wasn't that the boat's bad. It's just that I thought, man, that is where life is at. It's not wrong if you have wealth and riches. It's wrong if wealth and riches have you. It's wrong if wealth and riches have you. Because what ends up happening is you no longer need God. All you need is your wealth. But that wealth and deceit of riches can be gone like that. And that's the deceit of it. It promises something that it can't actually deliver on. You know, you can lose your entire fortune in a moment. The deceitfulness of riches, but also the desire for other things. The desire for other things. And what the desire for other things means is when we make good things into our God. When we take things that God has created and make them into our God. See, there's something in our culture that says, listen, be true to yourself and follow your heart. And that can be really dangerous because Jesus doesn't say, follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. And the temptation for us in our culture is to look at Jesus through the perspective of all of our desires, rather than looking at our desires through the perspective of Jesus, rather than looking at our desires through the perspective of Jesus. And if we don't look at our desires through the perspective of Jesus, we will inevitably take good things and make them into our gods. We'll center our lives around everything else but Jesus. The Christian has three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We talked a little bit about the devil, but the world is this system of thinking. If you're familiar with the term, the zeitgeist, it's the spirit of the age that says, And we sort of see it in the billboards, you know, the advertisements. It's not that those are bad, but there's something in those advertisements that calls to us and says, if you just have whatever is being advertised, you don't need God. And you feel it, don't you? Those pictures portray life, but it's not life with God, it's life without God. That's the world. It's not that God's creation is bad, it's again that good things are made to be our God. And the flesh is something in us, not my skin, but this rebellious part of our hearts that hears that message, you don't need God. And our flesh goes, yeah, I don't. I don't need God. As long as I have that thing, I'm going to be okay. I don't need God, I need power. I don't need God, I need comfort. I don't need God, I need pleasure. I don't need God's love, I need someone else's love. I don't need to listen to God on this thing. I need this more than I need God. And when the world interacts with your flesh, you'll find that you have a divided heart and the message of Jesus starts to get choked out in your life. And so the Christian is called to engage in a battle in their hearts. And that battle is reordering your desires. It's reordering 
your desires so that you see your desires through the perspective of Jesus rather than seeing Jesus through the perspective of your desires. And you allow him to tell you what's good and what's bad. And you allow him to tell you what should be most important. And you follow him rather than bowing at the throne of your own heart. See, many people want Jesus as fire insurance, but they do not want to follow him and they do not want him to reorder their desires. So they say, Jesus, forgive my lusts, but I do not want to make you my first love. Jesus, pay my debt of sin, but I won't change my desire for sin. Jesus, I prayed a prayer, but I'm not going to kneel before you as king. Jesus, I want to follow my heart, not you. And we're all in danger of this. It's not like you're a bad person. It's just normal humanity says, I want to live life without God telling me what to do. The amazing thing though, is that when we live life without God telling us what to do, it feels like freedom, but it's actually enslaving. Anytime you give your heart to something besides Jesus, it owns you and you have to chain yourself to it. If you must have power, you will inevitably be a person who oppresses others. Because anyone who tries to take that power from you, you've got to squash them. You've got to squash them because your heart's first love is power. If your first love is comfort, you'll become a coward because you'll never give yourself away. You'll never sacrifice yourself on behalf of someone else because your heart's first love is comfort. And if your heart's first love is pleasure, you'll be chained to seeking after it. You'll never be able to die to something inside you for the good of someone else. You'll only be able to do what you perceive is fun. But the amazing thing is, is as soon as we fail to serve an idol, as soon as we let go of power, it slips away. But when we fail Jesus, he never lets go of us. When we fail Jesus, he never loosens his grip of love on us. So reorder your desires to be centered around Jesus. Do you see the thorns out there? Do you see the thorns? Do you hear them calling to you? We all have that in our lives. And do you see how they can choke out the message of Jesus? Do you hear the message of Jesus with the ears of your heart. If you do, something incredible is happening in you. Jesus ends with good soil. And he says that the good soil receives the seed and the seed sinks down into the good soil. And as the seed grows up, it has roots, it's not choked out, it produces grain and it grows, and it increases, times 30, times 60, times 100. The good soil receives the seed, and the seed grows and bears fruit. Has your heart heard the message of Jesus, and has it received it? Has it received the message of Jesus? Do you understand that you're a sinner? who has violated God's law. And God is in the right because he is the creator and we are the creation and we have rebelled against him. 
And as someone who is just, he can't just let our sin slide. He must deal with it. And because of this separation of our sin, we don't know God, we're distant from him. We risk separation from him for eternity at our death. And nothing we can do can restore that relationship. Understanding that is part of receiving the message of Jesus. Because the rest is good news. The rest is good news that a king was sent into this world, not to come and kill everybody, not to come and subjugate people, but to come and die on the behalf of rebels and sinners. God sent the son with, as the good news. Jesus came into this world and he was put on the cross. He was punished in your place and he was put on a tomb, in the tomb. But on the third day, he rose from the grave. And you, if you have received the message of Jesus in your heart, you have been restored to God. You are a child of God. You are loved by God. You will spend eternity face to face with Jesus. The good soil represents a receptive and persevering heart a heart that receives the message of Jesus and allows the message of Jesus to reorder your desires and transform your desires. And even when it experiences tough times because of the message, it perseveres with the message that eventually bears fruit, that eventually grows and spreads from that seed, that eventually grows and spreads from you as one who has received the message. It bears fruit in your own life and then it begins to bear fruit around you in the lives of others. Do you hear the message of Jesus with the ears of your heart? Will you persevere with the message of Jesus in your heart? Because if you do, the seed in your heart will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and God will begin to do things in you and around you that you never thought were possible. George Lyle, by God's grace, was someone who had a receptive, persevering heart that received the message of Jesus, and he stuck with it, and because he did, he was able to bear incredible fruit with the message of Jesus. George Lyle was born in 1750, born as a slave in Virginia. He was sold to a man in Georgia and he moved there. And while he was in Georgia in 1773, he sat in a church and he heard the message of Jesus. And his heart received the message and embraced the message. His heart was like good soil and he was converted to be a follower of Jesus. George Lyle was baptized. After that, he remained a slave. But the seed began to bear fruit in his own life and he began to care about other slaves that he was imprisoned with. And he began to share the message with them. I read that he would read hymns. Through that, he would use that to teach them the gospel. And all around him, their fruit began to bear. People began to receive the message himself as they heard George Lyle preach it to them. In fact, he preached on plantations in Georgia and South Carolina. He was eventually freed so that he might spread the gospel. After a while though, someone said, we should not let this man be free. We've set him free, but we're going to enslave him again. 
And despite that, he continued to preach. He continued to persevere with the message of Jesus. As the Revolutionary War came to a close, he realized that he might be enslaved again. And so he took off from the United States to Jamaica. He went there as an indentured servant. He said, I will become someone's servant in order to pay off my debt for travel from the United States to Jamaica. And even though that was probably not what he wanted to do, he held fast and persevered with the message of Jesus. He was able to pay off his debt rather quickly. And in Jamaica, he began preaching the gospel. Now, just a little perspective, if you know your mission's history, this is 30 years before Adoniram Judson went to Burma. This is 10 years before William Carey went to India. This is one of the first missionaries in a modern era. This is arguably the first missionary from the United States that was sent somewhere else. And as he began preaching the gospel in Jamaica, he encountered opposition. There were some slave owners who did not like the message of the gospel. And they thought as our slaves hear it, it is going to upset them and it's gonna upset the status quo. And so a law was made that you could not preach the gospel to slaves. And yet George Lyle persevered anyway and preached the message of Jesus. Lyle was in prison many times, once I read for three years for breaking that law, but he persevered and he began to bear fruit. After seven years of preaching the gospel in Jamaica, he wrote in a letter that he'd seen over 500 people receive the message of Jesus themselves. 500 people. And by 1814, it was reported that 8,000 people had been converted to Jesus through his ministry. 8,000 people. He'd heard the message of Jesus with the ears of his heart. And though life was not easy and life was unjust and life was unfair, he continued to persevere with the message. He held on to it. He embraced it. And it bore fruit in his life and around him that he could never imagine. How does your heart hear the message of Jesus? Do you believe that as you hold on to the message of Jesus, it's worth it? that as you persevere, God is doing something in you and around you that you can't measure. George Lyle's a great example of something that just kind of blows our mind. I wanna bring up uh, one of my friends, David Taylor, just to share a little bit about uh, his life and how holding on to the message of Jesus has borne fruit for him. David just flew in from St. Louis. He's here on a business trip. He's part of our old church in St. Louis. Let's give him a, a welcome here. Sorry, it's a little short. Okay. Well, it's so good to be with you, uh, brothers and sisters. You know, before I do what John asked me to do, uh, I first want to just uh, testify on behalf of my brothers and sisters in St. Louis just how faithful John and Virginia are as servants of the Lord. You all are incredibly, incredibly blessed to have them serving you, teaching you, um, John entered in, actually right as John and Virginia, I think, were engaged, or maybe even before they were engaged, to our congregation. I would say kind of after we came through a pretty rough patch uh, as a congregation, we just moved into a new church building. And this dear brother, who's talented, uh, obviously gifted to preach the word, he kind of showed up and said, how can I serve? So over John and Virginia's time uh, among us, John led our children's ministry. 
enormously fruitful. He developed a deep uh, relationship with our associate pastor from Togo, West Africa, led the West African missions team, led the adult education program. And just in every way, way we needed someone to step in, step up, lay down their lives, uh, both John and Virginia did. So I just want to attest them to you that you are gifted with faithful servants of the Lord. We miss them a lot in St. Louis, but we are delighted to hear about what God is doing here. So now I'll do what he asked me to do. <laughs> yeah, give him a hand. So I'm currently uh, an elder uh, in our church in St. Louis. Um, New City Fellowship of St. Louis originally uh, was founded in kind of the central part of the city, right really on the city-county border. And that's important because uh, if you know anything about St. Louis, it's one of the most racially segregated cities in this country. Um, there is a, a hard line that you can literally draw on a map that kind of separates white Americans and black Americans in St. Louis. And I believe that God planted the seed in my heart um, listening to a sermon very similar to what John preached in a Baptist church when I was about 13. But I would say that seed kind of was buried deep. And it wasn't until I was in college and really searching for something meaningful about the church um, that the Lord led me to New City Fellowship. And it wasn't until I saw the gospel in action um, and I saw the gospel breaking down these walls of racial segregation that I thought, okay, there's real power. Because I've grown up in the suburbs. I was the exact opposite of George Lyle. I had every advantage. Uh, you know, great family vacations, got to do whatever we wanted, and I was definitely at risk of being that soil where the thorns grow up. And it's the pleasures of the world, kind of setting your own agenda, that uh, the gospel would not have taken root in my heart. But I saw the power of the gospel at work in a context similar to what you have going on here. Um, got involved in the church. Uh, as the ministry progressed, um, St. Louis started becoming a big resettlement center for folks from West Africa especially, but a lot of areas where uh, the State Department was resettling refugees in the United States. So in the south part of St. Louis City, we had a ton of West Africans coming from the wars in Liberia, uh, Sierra Leone, and Ivory Coast. So we just, uh, there was a lot of ministry work going on, and um, we realized that really we should just plant a church in that area. And my wife and I just decided you know, let's kind of see where the Lord leads, and we decided to be part of that. And one of the first ministries we started up was a tutoring program, and it was very similar to what the, uh, the original New City Fellowship had done to just get involved in the community. My wife ran that uh, tutoring program, and they ran it out of our house because we didn't really have a place to meet. So I would come home from work, and in every possible corner of our tiny house, there were adults and tutors uh, tutors uh, matched up with kids, and these were mainly kids from West Africa. These were kids um, who had most likely been born in the refugee camps. Some of them actually remember being in the village and fleeing uh, before they were resettled in the U.S. And one of those little girls uh, was named Lucky Girl, which we've come to learn is a pretty common Liberian name. And uh, there were a number of other kids that we got involved in, but you know, she was six years old. Um, and we just stayed involved in the lives of those kids, really, as they grew up. And, you know, John uh, and Virginia served tirelessly among that community as well. 
Well, fast forward uh, to the time that these kids are now entering a freshman in high school age. Um, my wife and I kind of learned that this girl, lucky girl, really needed a place to stay. There were circumstances in her family life that it was just not uh, a healthy environment. Her aunt was literally leaving town and kind of leaving the kids there. So um, we just said, okay, Lord, what are you asking us to do? And uh, we invited her to stay with us. We actually worked with the aunt and she agreed that that would be a good idea. So uh, we kind of had the thinnest of legal uh, protections. We basically had a letter that she signed that said, yes, I agree to do this. And a friend notarized it for us. Um, but that was uh, three and a half years ago. And Lucky Girl has been part of our family. Um, she has, I, I tell everyone it's been, you know, 95% totally awesome and 5% of the hardest parenting we have ever done. Uh, my wife and I have two boys, uh, eight and ten years old as well, and uh, it's just been an enormous blessing. And kind of the, the thing I can point to right now is that uh, she was just accepted to a great private university um, that uh, we haven't heard from financial aid yet, but <laughs> we're hoping that comes through. Um, but we're just delighted to see what the Lord is doing in her life. And it, and it has been a work of the Holy Spirit. About two years ago, you know, she had a, a very deep encounter with the Lord, asked to be baptized. She's been serving uh, and tutoring now herself. She's a tutor, and she's tutoring uh, not kids from West Africa this time, but, you know, the kind of the next wave of immigrants that we've been engaging with have been from Burma and Nepal. So uh, she is uh, tutoring a little Burmese girl and uh, absolutely loving it. And uh, she hopes to actually get to study in West Africa as part of the program she's looking at at this university. Um, my little boys just think of her as a big sister. She thinks of them as her two rambunctious little brothers. Uh, she's absolutely part of the family, and part of what the Lord has done, not only in my heart and my wife's heart, but also our family. You know, that, that family of mine who's still entrenched in the suburbs, you know, fearful of coming into the city uh, to visit with us. But uh, to see them embrace her as a daughter, a granddaughter, a great-granddaughter, um, has been an enormous blessing to us, and uh, the Lord has just been faithful, faithful, faithful. And, um, you know, that's kind of our testimony of certainly not 8,000 people, but one girl that God put in our, in our life. You know, we've known her now for 12 years. She just turned 18. Um, and, you know, we're just happy that the Lord saw fit to use us in that way. And my encouragement to you is just um, as the Lord continues to move and build this congregation and puts people in your path, uh, just ask the Lord, how should I serve? What kind of relationship should you, uh, would you have me uh, develop with this person? How can I lay down my life as our Lord Jesus says? So let that be an encouragement to you. Do you hear how holding on to the message of Jesus bears fruit? Do you hear the message of Jesus with the ears of your heart? And do you see what it can do, not only in your life, but in the lives of others? Did you hear how Lucky Girl is now taking what she's received that had been originally given to David and now spread it on to others? That's you. And that's what Jesus wants to do through us as we hold on to his message. Amen? Amen? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, that you've come into this world through Jesus. 
and that you've loved us. We pray that you would help us to hold fast to the message. We pray that we would be servants of the kingdom of God and that everything else would be secondary, a distant second for us, Lord. We pray that you would take this message deep into our hearts, Lord, and that we might hold fast and persevere through it. Lord, give us wisdom and grace and power through the Holy Spirit. In your name, amen. Hallelujah.